It is great to see you. Uh, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, Merry Christmas Eve. Uh, I'm glad that uh, you're with us, that you uh, brave in the cold. Uh, if uh, you didn't know it was going to be cold and you s- stayed around, thank you. If you knew coming in, thanks for being here uh, and, uh, and being with us together. I think Christmas 22 will be uh, one to remember. It'll be memorable for Christ Central Church. So I'm uh, glad you're here with us. Uh, the past couple of years, uh, my two oldest uh, sons have started a tradition uh, at the beginning of Advent. And it starts at the beginning of Advent because this is when all the magazines start arriving in our mailbox from toy manufacturers and companies that are selling kid toys. And the tradition is that my two oldest sons, they'll sit at our kitchen island and they'll get a pen or a marker and they'll just start circling all the toys that they want for Christmas. Uh, and it's, it's kind of fun for, for us to see them circle what they want, and uh, it's a good thing to let the time pass. And, but we really kind of take joy in watching our sons say, this is what I want for Christmas. And it, and it helps us choose a gift or two, not a thousand, like they will circle uh, wanting for Christmas. But I wonder if I were to take a poll uh, right now uh, asking you this question, what do you really want for Christmas? What responses I would get? Besides heat in the building, (laughs) what do you really want for Christmas? I think this is the most pointed and timely question that we can ask ourselves. And I'm going to refer to the Old Testament and New Testament reading for my homily as I address this question, what do you really want for Christmas? I primarily, though, want to stay in our New Testament reading in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 7. Titus 3, 4 to 7, it was treated as an ancient creed by the early church. Uh, Verse 8 in Titus 3 says, This saying is trustworthy, referring to verses 4 to 7. It's one long sentence in the original language of Greek, signaling that that everything mentioned in these four verses are connected. They go together. And it begins in verse 4, But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God appeared. The appearance is referring to the incarnation of Jesus. In the incarnation, it reveals the heart of God, which is a heart of goodness and loving kindness. Uh, loving kindness literally means a love toward humanity. Uh, it, it's the Greek word philanthropia, where we get our word philanthropy. It's a generosity toward all of humankind. In the appearance, in the coming of Jesus, the heart of God as the chief philanthropist is revealed. For in Jesus, God the Father meets and provides our greatest needs and wants. Why did Jesus come? Verse 5 tells us, and I think therefore shows us our greatest need. He came to save us. He came to save us. And verse 3 of Titus chapter 3 tells us what he came to save us from. Verse 3 says, for we were once foolish, slaves to our various passions and sins. Jesus saves us from ourselves. Jesus rescues us out of our foolishness, out of our slavery to sin. Jesus came to break the chains that bind us and to remove the idols that enthrall us. And this is where the rubber meets the road in Christianity and in Advent. Do you believe that your greatest need is to be rescued? Do you believe that Jesus meets your heart's longing in a way that nothing else can? Money? Marriage, family, influence, power, comfort, pleasure, none of these will ever meet your heart's longings in the way that Jesus can. 
And in fact, Jesus came to rescue us from making these things which are good our ultimate ones. He came to save us from our idolatries. The Old Testament reading in Isaiah 9, it's a prophecy about the Messiah who's going to come and, and bring a kingdom. And it's an incredible kingdom. And, and I would say that every single person wants this kingdom that is talked about in Isaiah 9. And it's talked about throughout scripture. Everybody wants the kingdom. Who here doesn't want a, a peace throughout the world or peace in their own lives? Who doesn't want or justice where there's injustice? Who here doesn't want to see the eradication of hunger, racism, abuse, violence, and hatred? We all want the kingdom. Australian pastor Mark Sayers says in his book, Disappearing Church, that our cultural moment might be best described as a society of people who want the kingdom without the king. And what he means is that our society is filled with people who want to see the world progress toward a place of peace and justice and love while being resistant to a personal need for a king. Because everybody wants the right to choose how to live. Everybody wants to be in command and in charge of our own worlds. We want the authority to call the shots, to judge what is right and wrong. That in our current day, the, the self is the most trusted authority. But what Paul, the apostle, is saying in Titus chapter 3 is that our greatest need is to be saved from ourselves. And hear this, when King Jesus saves us, he saves us into his kingdom. With the king, we get the kingdom. But you cannot have the kingdom without the king. And the good news that is proclaimed at Christmas is that King Jesus is unlike any earthly king we've ever known. He doesn't come to us in crushing impact of, of authoritarian rule, but rather he comes to us in the way of weakness and vulnerability and need. The goodness and the generosity of God appeared in the form of a humble, naked, helpless child. And he comes this way so that he can meet us in our own vulnerability and in our needs. For he is not a God who yells at us to get our act together or else. But rather, the generosity of God is seen in the appearance of Christ in Bethlehem and later crucified on a hill outside of Jerusalem. And he welcomes us to come, to come with our needs. And he saves us from ourselves. And he saves us from our idolatrous wanderings. Listen, the person who doesn't feel themselves vulnerable or needy or lost the person who does not see themselves in need of being rescued from themselves will never come to see their need for salvation. And verses 6 to 7 of Titus 3 declares what a great salvation we receive in Christ. I don't have time to break it all down. I wish I did. It's, it's glorious. I, I, but I want you to let it run over you. I'm going to read it again. I want you to let it run over you like a waterfall of grace. Because that's what this passage is. It's grace upon grace. Listen to, to the words again. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but by his mercy. The washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out. Are you picking up on who accomplishes salvation? God does. Not us. It's a gift that we simply receive. Continue with me. We've been justified by his grace. We've been acted upon. A verdict has been made. We are made righteous in Christ. We have become heirs. 
How does one become an heir? Is it through something that you do? No. It's because of being in relationship with another person that one becomes an heir. Salvation happens because God acts upon you. It's not because you're good or clever. It's because God is merciful. It's because he's good and he's generous. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a Welsh preacher in the 20th century, spent most of his ministry in London, but his first 10 years of ministry were spent in a blue-collar coastal city in Wales. And while he was pastoring in this little city, God was doing amazing work uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. One year, 135 people joined the church. 128 of them were non-Christians who became Christians. And one Wednesday night at a, at a church meeting after Lloyd-Jones taught the Bible, there was a time of question and an answer. And a man stands up and he asks the question, what's a Christian? And a few people respond and, and they say, well, a Christian does this and a Christian does that. And Lloyd-Jones he interrupts and he says, well, the question was, what is a Christian? Not what does a Christian do? And to the surprise of the, the whole gathering, a woman who never spoke stood up and said, doctor, a Christian is an heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. And she quoted to him, blessed assurance. And Lord Jones responded, thank you, Miss B. You are exactly right. I am an heir of salvation. A Christian is one in whom God has acted upon. And this meeting turned into a prayer meeting that lasted for hours as everyone marveled at how God had acted upon them and washed them and poured out the Holy Spirit upon them and justified them and made them heirs of salvation. To those of you here tonight, and you're not sure that you could say God has acted upon you, that, that God by his grace has saved you, I, I want to invite you to come with your vulnerability, to come with your neediness, because the pearl of great price lies in swaddling clothes. I want you to come and see Jesus. And every year in the southern part of France and Provence, the Christian church tells a story about the coming of Jesus in the first advent. And this is the story they tell every year. Four shepherds came to Bethlehem to see the Christ child. One shepherd brought eggs, another shepherd brought bread and cheese, the third shepherd brought wine, and the fourth shepherd brought nothing at all. The first three shepherds chatted with Mary and Joseph. They commented on how cozy the cave was and how handsome Joseph looked on this starlit night. They congratulated the proud parents, presented them with gifts, and assured them if they needed anything, just simply ask. Well, finally, someone asked, well, where's the fourth shepherd? And they began to search high and low, and finally, finally someone peeked through the blanket that was hung on the wall, and there kneeling at the crib was the fourth shepherd, who they called La Enchante, which means the enchanted one. For throughout that entire night, he stayed in adoration at the crib, whispering, Yesu, Yesu, Jesus, Jesus. La Enchante had one intense desire, to be enchanted with Jesus. He wanted to see Jesus. The other three shepherds missed Jesus for the festivities. And oh, oh, how easy it is for us to miss Jesus at Christmas for the festivities. Without Jesus, everything else that we do, it's merely gesturing. 
parties, presents, even going to a nice but cold Christmas Eve service. Without Jesus, we simply practice religious feel-goodism. And so I ask you, what do you want for Christmas? I pray that it is to see and to know Jesus. And the incarnation of Jesus, the goodness and the generosity of God appeared. And he appeared to save us. And when the king saves us, we also get the kingdom. We're going to confess our faith using the Nicene Creed. If you're here on a Sunday morning, we usually use the Apostles' Creed. But we're going to use the Nicene Creed together on Christmas Eve. It's a 4th century creed written in 325 A.D. Primarily focuses on who Jesus is. And so in this Christmas... Uh, I want us to use this creed and we're going to profess our faith together. And I want you to hear one another's voices. And I pray that God would use this creed to stir in us an intense desire to know Jesus. To be enchanted with Christ this Christmas. And so if you're a Christian, I'm going to ask you what you believe. And we're going to profess our faith together using this creed. Christian, what do you believe? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. And with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke to the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life in the world to come. Amen. Pray with me. Lord, we believe and help our unbelief. Save us from ourselves. Rescue us from our idolatries. Rescue us into the glorious grace and mercy that is freely offered to us in Jesus. Open our eyes to behold the kingdom that we get to inherit. Make our hearts sing because we are heirs of salvation. Give us security because we are justified, made righteous in Christ. Would the joy of our salvation be ringing true within our souls tonight and tomorrow morning as we wake up to celebrate Jesus. Thank you that you have come and you are coming again. Until we see you face to face, may we know that you meet our heart's greatest needs and all of our longings in the person and the work of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in your name we pray. Amen.